The News Run on Off The Ball with Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. This is News Talk. Well, you're welcome along to Tuesday evenings off the bus. So coming up tonight, Paddy Maher is going to join us on what is a shock retirement from Intercounty and Club Hurling. He is stopping completely one of the truly great hurlers of all time, frankly. Uh, just as he was gearing up for another season, he got some bad news about his neck. And in the space of a few days, he's been told to stop playing. So Paddy Maher is going to join us this hour. Dan McDonald will be along for the football show, Manchester United in Premier League action this evening amongst others we'll keep an eye on all the games and we'll chat about a busy day yesterday for the FAI in a few different fronts plus between 8 and 9 Brian O'Driscoll in studio looking ahead to Paris on Saturday 53106 is the text number we are at off the ball on Twitter Richard McCormick hello to you how are we Joe Ashley O'Reilly hello hi Joe how are you very well you get the nice rugby gigs I'm seeing are you off to Paris on Saturday <laughs> I hope you are come on I know, I am. This is the perks of the job. I'm nice. only two weeks into the job and I get to go to Paris. So I'll take that. This should be an amazing game Saturday. Yeah, it's funny because it's only the second game in and we're already talking about it being probably one of the biggest and most important games for Ireland. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go, but I'm quietly confident. Very good. Brian O'Driscoll is also quietly confident, so these, <laughs> this is making me nervous, I have to say, as we get closer to it. Uh, you were under Graham Garrity, I saw earlier on, very seriously ill not so long ago, but seems to be making a good recovery, which is great to hear. Yeah, it was brilliant to speak to him. I actually had seen an Instagram video of him out in New York. He was shoveling snow in Gaelic Park in New York, and that's how I actually got chatting to him then. I just got in touch with him and said, what's what's happening? What are you doing? And he sort of said, oh, look, I'm out here. I'm training the New York college team. So I got chatting to him that way. And he said that he's doing well now. He's just really enjoying his coaching. He's going to go back to work now in the next few weeks. But uh, all is doing well with him. So it was great to hear and great to see him doing so well, too. Because he was desperately ill for a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wasn't sure how he was now. Not a lot of people had heard. So when I had seen that video, I was like, wow things are, are looking good, you know. He spoke that, you know, there's no major side effects, just more tiredness. Um, so, yeah, that's really the biggest thing. But he's he's just so delighted to be doing so well because, as we all know, it, it was terrible what had happened to him and it was so uncertain for such a period of time there too. So, yeah, he's very much out and about and, yeah, enjoying life to the full. Great. Well, people can check out the interview on YouTube, the OTB Sports app as well. You can podcast it there. So, Ashley, talking to Graeme Gerdy this afternoon. We'll get cracking with the news round because there is a lot going on. It is, as ever, brought to you by Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Richie, we have the dates for the round of 16 in the Heineken Champions Cup. Yeah, and Leinster and Connacht are set for a Good Friday showdown at the Aviva Stadium. The second leg of their Heineken Champions Cup last 16 tie has been moved from the RDS to the Lansdowne Road venue. The game at the Aviva will have a half-five start, while the first leg at the sports ground the previous week will kick off at 8pm. That will be good, I would think, Rich. Aviva yeah, Stadium, yeah. Good Friday, half-past five. Do you remember when we used to have conversations about will the bars be open? And uh, now here we are heading into... Uh, well, I was, I was going to say post-pandemic, but we're opened up. We're going to have, you would imagine, close on 45,000, I'd say, maybe more at the Aviva Stadium for uh, a last 16 tie in the Champions Cup and Interpro. Hopefully, there'll be a lot on the line after uh, a night in Galway seven days prior. Um, yeah, it's going to be a great occasion. I think a half-five kickoff as well will probably make it. There'll be a lot of people really up for this uh, 
really up for this contest. And it'll be interesting to see where Connacht are at that stage of the season because they're like they're a brilliant side to watch. There's been some good results, a lot of very good performances. Uh, but sadly, it's been a lot of results that you know they've kind of left behind, and they're in mid-table now in the Pro 14. But I have a chance to really lay down a marker of two good games against Leinster, and who knows what's possible for Andy Friend's side in Europe this year. This all rings a bell. There was definitely maybe 10, 12 years ago, Munster fans will definitely remember, there was a Munster-Leinster match on a Good Friday, and it prompted debate, even in the Shannad and even in the Dáil over whether there should be an exemption in Limerick. I'm not sure. I think it may have happened. 53106, somebody will know. Uh, text in, definitely there was a big debate maybe 10, 12 years ago because there was a Leinster-Munster match on Good Friday. And needless to say, we could not drink. I mean, if Leinster play Munster, I mean, come on. Be Excuse serious. <laughs> so, uh, Jonathan Hill then, he was talking to Nathan amongst others today, Rich. Yeah, he was very busy uh, 24 hours for the FEI and for the FEI chief executive in particular, who expects Stephen Kenny to have signed a new contract by next month. The Republic of Ireland manager's current deal runs out at the end of July, but Hill revealed that the association wants Kenny to stay and a new deal is likely by the time Belgium visit on March 26th. With Stephen, as you say, it's 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 pretty simple actually, because uh, as you said, Stephen wants to continue in the role, and we're delighted at that because we want him to continue in the role. Um, he has an existing contract which is in place until the end of July, and we are in the process of negotiating um, a, a, a renewal of that contract through to um, uh, through to the end of Euro um, uh, twenty twenty four. Um, so, um, do you expect it to be done by the Belgium game, the next international break? Absolutely. We'll play more of that interview, by the way, between 9 and 10. Dan McDonald's popping into studio. There's been much talk as well, Rich, about funding versus hosting tournaments. Yeah, this press release they put out today at lunchtime, I don't think it was a coincidence given what went on yesterday with talk of the Euro 2028 bid, but the FAI promising a 1.5 million euro cash injection into grassroots football. That's on top of the 2 million in resilience funding that's provided by the government. News of the joint bid for Euro 2028 has led some to question if funding will be siphoned away from the domestic game, but Hill insists, again talking to Nathan, that that's not the case. It's a very modest amount in relation to what we, the FAI, have to put behind the bid process itself. And it is shared within the other, uh, the other four associations as well. But my point is, is that we also are making very specific um, um, commitments to all of the areas that we talk about in relation to the strategy. And so later today, we're making an announcement that over and above the two million euros that the government have given us in relation to the grassroots, we are making an additional um, contribution to the grassroots, which is what we should be doing as a football association. That is our purpose. So. Again, I say it's, it doesn't necessarily follow that by doing one thing means that we can't do the others. And we are planning very, very carefully. And this process and this strategy will give us the framework to be able to, um, to plan very carefully how we allocate the money that we do have available for us. And we are a non-for-profit organisation and we put that money back into the game. I've just hired a new COO who's coming from the English FA. Um, David Carell, who will come in and manage that process really carefully to make sure that all the decisions we make in terms of that budgetary process are connected to our strategic objectives. It was a busy day yesterday for the FAI, Ashleen. The 2028 news in the morning, the strategic plan for the next three years in the evening. What did you make of it all? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think it's a great thing, you know, to, to put in the bid and obviously along with the other nations as well, it'll probably make it that bit stronger and probably a little bit more 
realistic as well for chances of, of getting it. And I think it'll just probably just spur on, as we talked about there, the grassroots, you know, hearing mentions of that. You know, that's so important. And I think it's an area in Irish football that sometimes gets left behind. And it's it's massive if we're going to be talking about international you know teams and we're talking about the, the growth and development. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. So I do think that hearing that they're going to be funding that and putting a lot more money into that. Um, it's really important and it, it's great to hear. The pinch point here, Rich, I suppose, is... As Ashley says, everybody wants to see money put into the grassroots. Therefore, the question is, why waste a cent at the moment, given that money is so tight? Why waste a cent hosting these games? Yeah, I mean, he'll address that as well, talking to Nathan today, that um, the overall benefit, and this is something that Adrian mentioned last night as well, the overall benefit of hosting the Euros is huge. He says the um, amount that they have to put towards the bid is minimal, but like you say, any money that's needed for the grassroots should be there. He says that putting money into the grassroots is what football associations do. And you just you kind of look at that 1.5 million and on the surface you kind of think, oh yeah, they're putting money into grassroots. 1.5 million spread across the entirety of grassroots football in Ireland doesn't go very far at all. Um, and I know money is tight within the FAI. They mentioned that they're you know, doing okay financially. They still have a big debt to service, but in terms of um, making money, they are doing that. Like The focus should be on the domestic game at all levels and there is a massive job at hand for them as pointed out in their strategy last night about trying to build a coherent football pyramid because the mess that is underneath the, the League of Ireland not the mess the mentioned the occasional mess that is the League of Ireland uh, but the mess underneath it in terms of age grades and in terms of um, local football it's, it's just like it's a shambles and it will take far longer than three years to get together. But as he mentioned yesterday, it's about getting these people in a room, getting them talking to them, to him, to the association to try and coalesce everything. But Jesus, it's a massive job. And you just wish that their focus was entirely on that instead of a big ticket event like the Euros, which, you know, Spain and Portugal are really cocky about getting this bit over the line. We're only really in this to soften what is essentially an English bid. Uh, because an English-only bid wouldn't get very far after what happened last summer. A nice bid involving ourselves and the Jovial Scots and our Celtic brothers over in Wales and Northern Ireland, even though they don't have a stadium, um, it's it's silly. Like it's really silly, and it's it's it's. it's I see what I see there. I see the benefits for it in, in terms of tourism money, etc. But the game here needs such care and attention that any attention away from it is is probably a little bit misguided. Mm. I think Dan McDonald is of a similar opinion. I'm, I, I, I've one foot in your camp, Ashton, as well as seeing where Richie and Dan are coming from. I don't think it's going to be an extraordinary amount of money to host these games. It's not like we're going to be building these white elephant stadiums that won't have a use afterwards. There is something to be said for hosting these events and generating excitement and interest mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, if Jonathan Hill is saying it's a small amount of money, a small amount of money is not going to change all the problems within Irish football. So maybe there is an argument to go ahead with hosting the games as well. Yeah, sometimes these events can have such a beneficial factor for development because we have these young kids looking on. So if we are talking about grassroots, you actually don't know what sometimes an event like that can do. Yeah. So it is important. And if it isn't a big sum of money, then, yeah, I do think it, it could be, you know, a good thing to do. Um, I don't know exactly how much of that's going to be, but I do think it would be a great thing to do if it's feasible and possible. 
And if we have the Viva, we have Crow Park, well then, you know, yeah. we have the stadiums already there. Yeah, my sense here is the FAI with the general public are on a thin enough leash, a short enough leash, as in we're, we're listening, but uh, let's tell us exactly what this is going to cost. I think that's the <laughs> yeah. general mood out there. Like we're, we're, we're not shooting it down completely, but you, I mean, there's, there's no room here for if this turns out that it's double the price that you promised in six years time or something, there'll be hell to pay. Uh, meanwhile, so Premier League this evening, this Kurt Zuma story is starting, I think, to catch the imagination and the attention beyond just uh, sport shows at the moment, Rich. I think, um, yeah. I don't think, I don't think this has been put to bed just yet. It certainly hasn't, not with the way West Ham are carrying on tonight anyway. Uh, the Premier League's bottom three, first of all, all in action this evening. Burnley prop up the table ahead of the visit of Manchester United to Turf Moor. That's on the way at 8 o'clock. The other games have 7.45 starts. Newcastle entertain Everton. Uh, Donny van de Beek and Deli Alli both on the Everton bench tonight. Seamus Coleman starts for Frank Lampard's side. Watford, meanwhile, are away to West Ham. And Kurt Zuma does start for the Hammers following the defender's apology for kicking and hitting his cat. His club, the RSPCA and animal welfare groups are among those to condemn his actions, which were shown in a video online. London's Metropolitan Police, though, say no investigation will be carried out. And that's to the dismay of Sarah Elliott, Cat Protection's Central Veterinary Officer. I think that's a real shame. I think particularly with Premier League footballers, they, they do have that fan base and, and with that sort of power comes responsibility to, to be held accountable for their actions as well. And so that, that would be very disappointing for, for Cats Protection and its supporters, I think, if, if no action was taken. What do you make of all this, Ashley? Um, yeah, geez, that's actually uh, some of that's the first I've heard of it now. Just uh, listening to the clip there, it's, it's, it's baffling, isn't it? Yeah, it, I mean, it was funny. I, was, I just went on uh, YouTube to just get a sense of, uh, I know the lads talked about it this morning and uh, talk sport were talking about it. But like, it was interesting, the Loose Women programme we're talking about mm -hmm. it in a big way, which suggests this has gone beyond just a sporting story. It is capturing the attention of the media at large. Like Zuma released a statement saying, I want to apologise for my actions. There are no excuses for my behaviour. I want to say uh, I'm deeply sorry. I would like to assure everyone that our two cats are perfectly fine and healthy. They're loved and cherished by our entire family. I mean, to what extent he wrote the statement, I don't know. Not entirely sure he can say that, given the video which was put up on Saturday by his brother, it seems, or his friend, certainly. But, I mean, this wasn't investigative journalism on behalf of the son to expose this. I mean, it was filmed and put up. So, RSPCA are uh, saying this is unacceptable. West Ham are saying they don't condone it but he does start this evening straight away I think that might antagonise uh, further Richie maybe if they had uh, fined him a couple of weeks wages said listen you're going to do X number of hours in a in a shelter for abused animals and show remorse that way it might have put it to bed a bit more but I think you know quick statement and out you go this evening to play a match that could spark more talk I would wonder yeah, they had the perfect timeline available to them, West Ham, because this broke last night, uh, slash early this morning. They were playing tonight. Um, so they had the perfect opportunity to just say, right, he's we condemn these actions. He's not going to play uh, tonight against Watford and we'll assess the situation. We'll deal with it internally. And instead, they put him straight back out there, which is like, it's baffling, like absolutely baffling because it doesn't make them look good. doesn't make David Moyes look good. doesn't make the owners look good. doesn't make the Premier League look good. That a, Like a footballer, can be filmed um, perpetrating those acts on a you know a small animal, and the Met Police aren't going to investigate. His club are more than willing to just play him straight away. It's just a bad PR exercise from pretty much everybody involved, and that's not even to take into account what he actually did 
to the poor animal like those those cats like shouldn't be in this house anymore like not only is this being filmed uh there's people in the video laughing at the situation as well like it's grim mm. all the way around really really grim at the very least you'd expect is that he's left out of the side tonight like i know west ham are light and defensive options and i think east of diop is their only set of half on the bench but even still a bit of cop on says you leave him out tonight you deal with it internally say you've given him a fine send him off to an animal shelter to do a few hours work every week and you know keep his head down and move on don't stick him straight back out there yeah pragmatism tends to reign for football clubs in these instances Ashley. yeah and it just highlights it even more and more and as we're talking about it more and more here now which rightly so but for him and for the club you know maybe the right thing was to to not have him start tonight so that maybe you know it, it doesn't it, it looks like the right thing to do sort of thing um but no, it's just unbelievable. And this is actually the first now I'm really hearing of it in detail and I'm just shocked. Um, yeah, it's just it's just unreal. Yeah, so there's uh, there's no prosecution. Uh, the Met Police have said that there's no further inquiries or it doesn't seem as if the animals will be taken often, but there is the court of public opinion. I suspect he may get a frosty reception this evening. So we'll let you know as the matches kick off. Meanwhile, Johnny Sexton's been talking, Rich. Yeah, and talking to Ashling there, he, he insists there's plenty for Ireland to improve upon following last week's win over Wales. They recorded a bonus point win over Wayne Pivak's side, but the sense was they could have put an even bigger score on a pretty poor Welsh side. Ireland go to Paris on Saturday with plenty to work on, according to the captain. Yeah, look, we, we reviewed the game and uh, we did some really good things. Um, we had lots of work-ons, of course, um, which is a good place to be after a win. Um, and that's that's... We feel that there's there's a bit more in us, um, but we're happy with some of the things that we did on the day because, you know, we've obviously explained already the conditions were were pretty tough in terms of you know greasy ball and and, and a very strong wind. So um, yeah, to to do some of the things that we did in those conditions was was really pleasing. Um, but we know we need to to go up a level in our performance this week. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it does make a very good point about the conditions. I remember being out for a walk a couple of hours before kickoff and thinking, oh, this is such a pity. We're not going to see the type of rugby that we saw in November. And that was one of the more surprising aspects of the performance on Saturday. But as Sexton rightly says, Ashleen, in Paris, a lot of things are going to have to improve dramatically. Not that France looked all that scary against Italy, but you just know come Saturday evening, 80,000 Stade de France, they're going to be on it. Yeah, it's a hell of a lot tougher than being in the Viva full of Irish fans. But the vibe very much from Sexton was that they are delighted to get the win, but just that it wasn't their best performance and that there's many areas that they, they feel they need to improve on. He mentioned that the best teams, like when they're winning, that they still learn and they still take from the lessons from those victories. And they're definitely going to do that. But even in November, actually mentioned that off the back of the Japan and New Zealand game, they felt that they, they you know, they could still learn from those. But they definitely have some stuff they to work on, um, and they have to sort of up the ante you now for, for France game because I think even to let that try in at the end against Wales was a bit of a bit of a bummer. You know, it was it was a moment like of a lapse in concentration, um, really. And I do think it it hurt them. You know, even in the press conferences after when we mentioned it, you know, they really didn't want that to happen and. Yeah, I just think they'll definitely have to up their game um, against France. But it was great to, to get the win, absolutely. There was definitely good moments of play. But uh, yeah, definitely a sense of there's areas to improve. Mm. So, Rich, we'll move on to the Winter Olympics. I haven't seen much of this thus far, I have to admit. 
Yeah, um, it's I guess the time zone isn't isn't yeah. great. The one thing that's I don't know if you've seen that photo that's doing the rounds today. There's one of the um, skiing events is being held in the middle of an old nuclear power plant. So the backdrop for the slope, as it were, is like three massive old cooling towers. So you've got this like horrible brutalist architecture going on behind uh, a really isolated winter venue. It kind of shows the strangeness of these uh, winter games as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Elsa Desmond says she's ecstatic having finished her Olympic campaign. The Irish competitor placed 33rd overall in the women's singles luge and described her Beijing experience as a dream come true. Earlier, a deflated Jack Garrett was among the many who didn't manage to finish in the men's Super G scheme. But they've been uh, trying to cope with fake snow, uh, such as the nature of these... Uh, these games as well, which is a trickier beast than regular Schnachter. Okay. Uh, GPA have been talking? Yeah, and they are calling for immediate integration of the GAA, the Ladies Gaelic Football Association and the Camogie Association. The player's body now oversees both male and female intercounty athletes with 97% of their membership backing full integration. The GPA is submitting a motion to Congress on February 26th seeking swift action to ensure equal investment, recognition and opportunity for all genders. Yeah, I think we're heading that way very quickly. I haven't heard any dissenting voices. I haven't heard a single person who doesn't think it's a good idea. I mean, I suppose there are many reasons to do it. One of the great things, I suppose, Ashley, and if they did it is overnight, in terms of female teams having to go begging for pitch time, suddenly Mm. the pitches would be every bit as much theirs as, quote-unquote, the GAs who have such an array of facilities. So overnight, that would transform the lot of so many teams. Yeah, that's just one aspect that would be so important and it'd be massive for the game. You know, I think even just inclusion, I sometimes feel that with the LGFA and the Camogie, they sometimes don't feel fully included. And that's everything you shouldn't feel when you're in the GA. You know, it's a community um, and you definitely should feel included. And I think if it was under the one umbrella, that's exactly how we'd all feel. Um, definitely the pitches that we still have some of the best players in the game have never played in Crow Park the likes of Amy Mackin for example in, from Armagh she's never stepped foot in Crow Park and she's you know won All-Stars and you know she won player of the year um, not last year the year before so you know to, to see these type of players having never stepped into the holy grail of, of, of our games is, is crazy so all of those things would change and just communication like at the minute with the LGFA and the Camogie Association the clash of times and pitches and matches is is crazy like last year just for an example we've seen one of the girls Megan Tyne she's the only dual player for Mead and she played one half of a Camogie game and one half of a football game for Mead on the same day she traveled 60 miles within the two the two halves to try and get to the other game. You know, it, it's just crazy. So I do think if all of these came, hmm. associations came under the one umbrella, hopefully this would help these situations, you know? Yeah, you would hope so. In some ways, that's a different uh, situation because that, for me, and that's very frustrating, that is an example of the Ladies Football Association and the Camogie Association not helping each other out, actually. That's and big time. that really frustrated that's me so over the last number of years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can, you can throw absolutely a lot at the GEA as well. But when you have the Camogie Association and the Ladies Gaelic Football Association not even working together, then, you mm. know, there's serious problems there. And that never made sense to me. I don't know, is there a rivalry there, a bit of jealousy there, or what the motivation is? But uh, that the Mead Camogie Association and the Ladies Gaelic Football Association are putting their games on the same day is crazy. Mad. And as you said, it's not the GA to fix that. I suppose I would think that if it did come under the one, it hopefully would help. They'd have to help. talk. Yeah. They'd have to talk. Yeah. But you're, you're so right, Leo. Even for club now, I play club 
football and camogie and we still have these situations where we can't get our club games right because as you said it's probably highlighting within the county what what's going on there's not a hell of a lot of communication and I think that's across the whole of Ireland so yeah but I, as a whole for all the associations coming together it can't be but a positive thing yeah. you know and it's it's time yeah, definitely. And definitely seems like it's it's heading in that direction very, very quickly. So, guys, we're just out of time. Richie, thanks a mil. Nice and Joe. Ashling, thanks very much. Thanks, Joe.